Welcome to the Healing Power of Awareness podcast series. In this episode, we interview yours truly, Tom Richards, co-author of An Alzheimer's Surprise Party, profound research that demonstrates the benefits of sentient awareness applied to Alzheimer's and dementia. According to Dr. Rosemary Shinkwin, in this groundbreaking work, co-authors Stan Tamandel and Tom Richards proposed that people with Alzheimer's dementia are not merely spiraling downward into mindless pathology, but are human beings in states of altered consciousness, parallel realities that may be important and meaningful experiences for them, their families, and for society. In the words of Dr. Arnold Mendel, I strongly recommend this as an original method of understanding and dealing with people in Alzheimer's and other dementias. And according to Dr. Salome Schwartz, an Alzheimer's surprise party is an exceptional training tool not only for professionals, but also for family members, friends, and caregivers. It is exceptional because Tom and Stan have made it interactive. They do not simply present abstract psychological concepts but develop detailed, reality-based personal experiences enhanced with clear, concise observations, structure, and learning. This research is also on the recommended reading list of the National Alzheimer's Association in the U.S. These complete reviews, links to the book, and more are available on our website, sentientcare.com. Today, Olga Laluz will be conducting the interview. I'm Olga, and in this podcast, I will be interviewing Tom Richards, co-author of An Alzheimer's Surprise Party. Welcome, Tom, and congratulations on your research. I'm really excited about your book, so let me just jump in if you don't mind. Thanks, Olga. Okay, the first question I have for you is this. Alzheimer's disease is devastating for individuals, and you know, especially for caregivers and families. So what message does your research have for these folks? Well, Olga, our research explores the mystery and dispels the stigma of Alzheimer's dementia by revealing its potential for meaningful communication, intimate relationship, and spiritual healing. We offer hope and meaning in the midst of one of life's scariest and most difficult processes. Wow, that sounds wonderful. But how do you do that? How do you work with Alzheimer's patients? Well, we work by applying new sentient awareness skills. We demonstrate that Alzheimer's patients are able to actually work on themselves psychologically and communicate with others during all stages of Alzheimer's with outcomes including psychological, soulful, and spiritual growth processes and healing. Sentient refers to very subtle feeling perception or very subtle sense perception. Well, the trick is catching sentient flickers or flirts at the edge of our perception. And these can be visual, they can be proprioceptive, meaning in the body, they can be uh, auditory. A flicker is the earliest signal and it is perception that occurs so quickly we tend to ignore them or mistake their content 
or easily overlook them. Our mind tends to get in the way of uh, having perception in the moment of the minutest signals. And working with Alzheimer's, the, the minute and subtle signals are really the key to exploring the process. Can you give an example of that? Because I'm still a little confused. Well, in working uh, with a metabolic coma patient, I noticed a very minute movement in her left foot. This is, this is in the middle of the process, so I'm jumping ahead, but mm -hmm. she is totally unaware of it because metabolic coma dementia has given her a disconnect with her own perceptions of her body. Mm. And so we play the awareness facilitator in that case. And so I bring that awareness back to her by telling her that I noticed that her uh, left foot has made a really tiny movement. She then responds with positive feedback by moving her whole left leg. And we, follow, we in turn follow that with positive feed, feedback. Uh, we call that cheerleading. Wow, you've just moved your left leg. That's great. Now you took, just took a really deep breath. And as a result of following her process with positive support, her eyes open and she awakens from the coma. This process took about 45 minutes. Oh my goodness. This is so interesting. I, I just am amazed. So tell me, that, that really was an interesting example. Is the work really that straightforward? Uh, well, yes and no. It is difficult to use language to describe ascension experience. Um, I have only described the facilitator's observable interventions and the patient's observable responses at the ascension. We call it the aha moment in the process, making the process appear linear and it appears cognitive and it appears easily accomplished. But in, uh, in um, the deepest sense, the deep sentient experience of the patient is multidimensional and occurs during an altered state of consciousness. This is a nonlinear flow by its very nature and cannot be expressed adequately in language by either the patient or the facilitator. What is frustrating to my Western scientific training is that neither the facilitator nor the patient really even need to know or may ever know the content of this process. And also frustrating and humbling to me is bowing to the wisdom, what I call the wisdom of the process. The facilitator, which is somewhat of a misnomer, does not make anything happen. Hmm. The skill of following nature is counter to our culture, which is oriented to making toward making things happen. Sentient awareness, on the other hand, follows the flow of nature, the result or side effect of which is often healing. Sentient awareness facilitation is science and art, linear and nonlinear, and cognitive and experiential. That's a lot of a lot of words, but it's just to say uh, the process in, involves the entire field in which you are working, in all of its manifestations, including normal consciousness and altered consciousness. What does altered consciousness mean? Well, that's any time that you are um, not feeling yourself would be the gentlest saying, "Oh, I don't feel like myself today," or. Mm. Say you may be uh, driving down the road and uh, suddenly you realize that you've just gone 10 miles and you don't know how you got there. You've been in an altered state, like daydreaming is another altered state of consciousness. It's where we are not in our normal sense of who we think we are. Wow. And we have gone into, and they can go as extreme to into uh, extreme states and it can go all the way into um, coma as the far end of the extreme. It's a, it's a continuum. 
And we do this every day. We go in and out of altered states all during the day. It's part of our flow. Goodness, that's a really clear explanation. Thank you. I appreciate that. Is there anything else you want to say about the question? Well, I should probably uh, confess to the fact that it requires working with Alzheimer's patients who requires a great deal of patience. Uh -huh. And uh, like I said, the 45-minute intervention, intervention with the uh, dementia patient that I described, I mean, it was 45 minutes long, but I described the, the aha moment seemed like it just happened quickly, mm. and it did, did, did not. 45 mm. minutes is quite a long time mm. to be holding really tight awareness mm. to all the sentient perceptions that are going mm. on. But it seems really worth it, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it's, I, I am drawn to it. Oh, that's great. Well, Tom, you, your results suggest that the Alzheimer's state is not simply a vacuum. By the way, that's what I always thought it was. So is this true in every case, that, that it's not simply a vacuum? In our experience, dementia patients are communicating at all times. They are communicating to the best of their ability. And just as space is not empty, there is no such vacuum state of consciousness. We have not found that to be ever the case. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I'm kind of glad to hear that. What exactly goes on in an Alzheimer's dementia state? Well, surprisingly, Alzheimer's parallels normal life processes in many ways, except for its intense inward focus and extreme detachment. The processes we've observed occurring in Alzheimer's include working on unfinished business, harvesting, imparting blessings, creating sacred space, meaning, and spiritual connections. And it comes as a um, relief to many uh, caregivers and family members to understand that something important and meaningful is happening in the Alzheimer's state that includes uh, one or more of these processes. And it's surprising that they parallel very much the uh, work that we do normally in our own lives. And the question, the big question becomes, why couldn't they just do it in their normal state of life? Yeah, I'd have that question too. Why? And the, that is the big uh, question. We do not know, but we do know that they need, they needed the Alzheimer's process in order to get the space to work on themselves. God, that's incredible. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. And these each can be like completion of unfinished business, business such as resolving individual and family issues. Uh, for example, uh, that's a case where Stan's father, who an advanced, I mean, truly advanced Alzheimer's, he'd been in an advanced Alzheimer's state for almost uh, two years. And we uncovered the fact that he was actually working on what he called the four big questions. And, uh, and he called them, I'm sorry, the four big mistakes. And, big difference. Uh, yeah, big, yeah, <laughs> big, yeah, big. And uh, actually the first mistake that he was working on was that he had, uh, it was a complete surprise to feel that he had been blaming himself all the way into his late 70s for the death of his father. His father had died of uh, complications having been working out in the farm stayed out in the rain and had nothing to do, but it was just his child taking on the guilt. And uh, that was part of what he had to resolve in his Alzheimer's state. And mm -hmm. he did. He actually did resolve it. But how did you find that out? 
Well, that's a <laughs> that that uh, took um, a collaboration between uh, Stan Demandel and myself, as uh, Stan came up with the intervention working with Dr. Arnold Mandel. But it was his ability to stand up to his father and do that in person was too uh, edgy. And so he told me what the intervention was, and I stood up to uh, Stan in that case. And, um, well, it's a fascinating story because Stan Sr., who's the, the identified Alzheimer's patient, uh, was an amateur boxer when he was uh, in the Army. And... Um, so in working with uh, uh, Arnie Mandel, um, Stan, Arnie worked out an uh, intervention that he says, uh, I'm not going to let you do that. If you don't answer me, I'm going to punch you in the nose. Goodness. And uh, Stan Sr., who was in this state, and Stan Jr. was with me, we were um, standing in a hallway, and uh, the moment had come where um, uh, we had processed to the point where we knew that he was working on mistakes, but we were trying to dream into what, how to access a portal to find out what those mistakes might have been. Mm-hmm. So I, remembering that intervention, uh, I said to Stan Sr., I want you to tell me those mistakes or I'm going to punch you in the nose. And at that moment, he got uh, extremely agitated and went in an interstate where he was looking downward and processing it. And then he said, four mistakes. And he answered the question. And I said, and I dreamed into what the first mistake could have been. And I just dreamed in and said, well, maybe the first mistake was when you were um, a child. And he answered me. To my complete surprise, he said, eight years old. Wow. Oh, Tom, this is so And I so said, what, what happened when he was eight years old? Well, Stan answered, his father had died. Oh. His grandfather had oh, died. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So that's one, that's one example of completing unfinished business. Another process that occurs in the Alzheimer's state can be, possibly, harvesting, such as recalling and savoring life experiences. Another is imparting blessings by openly accepting loved ones. Another is creating sacred space by a secure feeling with a sense of something larger than ourselves. Another process is meaning by exploring formative experiences and essential beliefs. And uh, the last one is spiritual connections such as immersing in the beauty of eternity and finding God's love. Uh, Stan's father was actually very significantly throughout an entire four-year period um, going out into uh, ecstatic spiritual states. Mm, That sounds so interesting. You know, there are so many questions I have that I guess I can't stop at each one of them, but maybe you'll, you'll give us some more examples. But anyway, can you tell me... Uh, I mean, can you really communicate with people in advanced Alzheimer's states? I mean, are they, aren't they just gone? Aren't their memories really gone? In our experience, we have found that, uh, first of all, that memories are not necessarily gone. 
In fact, what the process is really is happening is the, the but the desire to access them has diminished because the inner work the Alzheimer's patient is doing takes precedence. Um, second, many pre-Alzheimer's character traits do remain intact post-Alzheimer's, as in one client who maintained their sense of humor and their caring nature, both pre- and post-Alzheimer's. Mm. And third, the inner work the patient is doing in the Alzheimer's state can be foreshadowed from their normal life patterns. Well, you just talked about humor, so my question is, there's a great deal of humor evoked in most conversations about Alzheimer's and memory loss in your book, but Alzheimer's and memory loss are really not funny, especially to those afflicted. What is the humor about? Well, Alzheimer's infects us all. In fact, uh, when uh, there is an Alzheimer's patient in the family, um, we see the whole field and we see that the entire family has Alzheimer's. And, um, but almost everyone, so almost everyone is afraid they're going to lose it, as we all do sometimes. The humor is about recognizing our own forgetfulness, forgetfulness foibles. Hmm. Gosh, this is so deep, Tom. I'm just telling you. But anyway, you refer to spiritual healing. Uh, I'd like to know more about that. What exactly do you mean by spiritual healing? That's a healing of non-physical pain, such as guilt, anger, depression, lack of meaning or purpose, and disconnection, for example, are some of the emotional and spiritual healing processes we are referring to. Western medicine historically deals with human body as a mechanical device, a machine, and works to restore the mechanisms. And I know I'm being a little harsh on the Western uh, uh, allopathic model, but spiritual healing, not necessarily attached to religion, deals with the entire body, mind, and spirit, and particularly the shift or flow in consciousness to a new level of awareness that is the deeper healing process. Hmm. Wow. So your approach is called process work. What is process work? Process work is a multicultural, multi-level awareness practice for individuals and organizations in all states of consciousness. And I know that's a lot, and it, it is a very large subject because mm -hmm. it applies not only to the individual who can be as far out in a, in a coma state, but it can apply all the way to families, communities, and all the way to world work, where a great body of work has been developed by doctors Arnold and Amy Mandel in uh, Portland, Oregon, at the Process Work Institute, and uh, they have, and their colleagues have uh, developed an amazing body of work. Process work facilitates individuals and families and communities by following the deeper na creative nature of their processes. And again, the emphasis is on the word fo following, which is really counterculture. Alzheimer's is such a difficult and complex disease. Whatever motivated you to work with Alzheimer's? Well, prior to uh, working with Stanley, that's uh, Stan's father, uh, I had never heard the term Alzheimer's or been exposed to it or anyone with Alzheimer's. In truth, I didn't know what I was getting into. I was drawn into it like a moth to a flame to help my best friend and his family. 
Um, and if I had had conventional medical or psychological training, we would have never had accomplished what we have accomplished. Um, as Einstein so aptly puts it, no problem can be solved from within the same consciousness that created it. And um, it just means that when I went into this, I went in this with a truly beginner's mind. And that was what really gave me an opening to see what I saw. I just love that, Tom. A beginner's mind. I love that. So then why did you write this book? Well, initially I wrote the first chapter, the story of the surprise party. It was a, as a process of grieving over Stanley's passing, his transition. However, I, I had recorded and studied every interaction with Stanley over a four-year period to further study my process work skills and to explore the potential benefits of process work for Alzheimer's patients. Stan, this is Stanley's son and my dear friend, colleague, and co-author, recognized the need to finish the book, and we collaborated on it for another 15 years before it was published. Goodness. You really, really, really had a connection with this family. You cared about this family. So they had something to do with it too, yes? Mm -hmm. Oh, that was all part of the beautiful mm. landscape. I love it. I love it. So your work is based on an in-depth case. In the case of your co-worker's father, how can you claim to extend the results to other cases and other dementias? Well, we have worked with hundreds of individuals in all stages of dementia, including coma. Stanley's case is simply the most extensive oh. and the most comprehensively documented case we have to write about. In all of these cases of altered states of consciousness, including Stanley's, the results have been the same. There is a creative life process in the background seeking expression. I'm still, I cannot tell you how amazed and, and exciting I feel that this uh, work is. Thank you. So uh, the name of your book is An Alzheimer's Surprise Party. This is an interesting twist. What is the story behind the name? Well, the name has several levels of meaning. Uh, the party we threw for Stanley the day before he died was a surprise party. So that's a literal name. But in fact, the fact that Stanley, in after four hours, four hours, after four years of advanced Alzheimer's, was home, meaning present at his party, and our research hypothesis that someone even advanced in Alzheimer's or coma is always home, is a surprise to the conventional wisdom about Alzheimer's. And Alzheimer's itself is a kind of surprise party, full of surprises, including the initial diagnosis lack of diagnosis, or misdiagnosis. Alzheimer's has been a mystery full of surprises for over 100 years. Mm, wow. Do you have a specific writing style? Because I, I read the book and, and it was very intriguing, but can you tell me about your writing style? Sure. Uh, our style, and we debated and talked about how it was we were going to uh, present the material, and our style is uh, intense, intimate, and urgent first-person first person present tense and we place our reader in the room with us in the moment including the moments when death or and or ecstasy are imminent and isn't it fascinating that he died right after that party well um <laughs> i just think it's fascinating that that 
you know, he could have held on for a much longer time. And you he had, had been in a, and he had been in a coma for a better part of uh, six months. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, he could have died any time before that. He could have been. He could have died uh, a year ago, two years ago. He could have. That's one of the interesting questions in working with death and dying is. What is, again, what is the unfinished business? Mm. Conventional wisdom says that an Alzheimer's patient doesn't have any unfinished business. Mm -hmm. But in Stanley's case, he did. Wow. Thank you so much for that. Just to uh, finish this little episode of the story, um, at the surprise party, one of the other surprises was the uh, finding out Stan's unfinished business in that moment. And that was that, uh, going back to your question, why he died the day before, Stan was uh, actually waiting for Fran and for the opportunity to hear from Fran that she would be okay. Who's Fran? Fran is his wife. I'm sorry, of course. Fran is his wife of uh, 60 years plus. And... um, he had been waiting, and when Fran was able to, it takes a great deal of courage to say that uh, she would be all right, and um, he, he didn't need her permission, but she gave him permission. She said, it's all right if you go on ahead of me, And um, but she also said uh, that, and uh, know that I will be okay. And with that, Stan's entire body relaxed. It was an extremely poignant moment. His body just completely relaxed. The skin changed uh, color on his face, and he was just completely content at that moment. And it was a it was a really poignant moment. And that is why, when you said you were surprised it happened, I wasn't surprised because I had been there, and I knew that uh, he had completed his business and that he had waited for Fran. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, Fran had been there three days before and had sat next to him in a coma. He was in a comatose state. I had failed to mention that he had to come out of a coma into an advanced Alzheimer's state and then participate fully in the uh, surprise party. And that's the, actually the first chapter of the book because that's what really uh, motivated us to complete the rest of the work. Mm. Wow, Tom, it's like a love story. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for giving me that information. Okay, so when people are in advanced Alzheimer's or coma and look peaceful, why do you want to disturb them? Uh, We know that during both normal states of consciousness and altered states of consciousness, most everyone has experienced the tendency of being stuck. And I think you can probably relate to the idea of being stuck. It's a pretty familiar term, which means that the individual is seeking new information and can't quite reach it. With Alzheimer's patients, we support their reach. Because we are following their process, we are confident that our support will either be effective or will simply be ignored, but not be a disturbance in the normal sense of the word. An advanced Alzheimer's patient is actually very powerful in one sense and will offer no feedback, no response if our support is in any way invasive or off the process. If we are in fact supporting them, then they will be on the process. They will respond with positive feedback 
and will with a noticeable response to the best of their ability. Again, it will be a sentient response. I'm not Mm. saying they sit up in bed, but you have to be. That's why sentient awareness is such an important key to it. Mm, It takes all that patience to be able to do that, right? Thank you so much. Okay, now, um, sometimes I've heard that Alzheimer's patients become unruly and difficult to handle. How do you handle and explain aggressive behavior? Wow, this is a huge and complex subject. Aggressive behavior is an altered state of consciousness, linked with other altered states of consciousness, which include forgetfulness. You were asking earlier what is forgetfulness is an altered state of consciousness, confusion, Mm. high drama, agitation, Mm. delirium, dementia, anger. Those are other remote states of consciousness. And aggressive behavior is the messenger, not the message, which means that um, uh, many people interpret the the behavior as the message, and the behavior is just the attention-getting messenger. Aggressive behavior can be the result of something as simple or normal as, and the actual message being, frustration of trying to express oneself or be understood. Mm. Or it can be the fear of being touched without warning. I mean, imagine you're there with your eyes closed, standing there, and from out of nowhere, someone touches you anywhere. You would be... um, Pretty upset, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another very ordinary cause for aggressive behavior is being upset over being told or forced to do something against your will. A perfect example for me is my father, who was in the care center, and um, they were forcing him to go to dinner, and they were forcing him to sit down at the table. And here's a senior, an adult, lived his whole life choosing when he's going to eat, choosing where he's going to sit, choosing what time he wants to go and sit down. So he got very agitated at that. And... uh, he told the the caregiver who was doing it, he told her that she was fired. And, of course, I had to go in and talk to the social worker and tell her that my father was perfectly cognizant of the fact that he was paying the bills, that they were working for him, and that this worker was not doing a good job. And he had every reason to fire this person. So there are many reasons for agitation, but again, the agitation is not the, is the messenger, not the message. And um, applying sentient awareness facilitation to these states helps shed light on their mysterious nature, making them, more, making them more useful and less intimidating to the patients, to the family members, to friends, to caregivers, and the community. For patients and care facility residents, this means the opportunity of knowing knowing and experiencing themselves on their own terms in their new states of consciousness and with less physical and pharmacological restraints. That is a key one for me. Me too. And um, it's, uh, yes, it hits a real trigger point for me, so I, I will... Take a deep breath right now. For families, friends, and caregivers, this means reduced feelings of hopelessness and burnout, less fear, added peace of mind, and reduced stress, and the opportunity of being in closer relationship with the individual. 
Oh, goodness. So much information. My goodness. Okay. So, Tom, what kind of conscious decisions can an advanced Alzheimer's patient make? Well, in our experiencing using sentient awareness facilitation, there is no limit to the decisions that an Alzheimer's patient can participate in. Sometimes the difficulties are evoked by, uh, for example, not consulting with the patient about the specifics of their treatments and personal care, regardless of their state of consciousness. The assumption that they're in a different state of consciousness and the assumption that they're not capable of sending or receiving communication is an assumption that many caregivers uh, take. And um, uh, that is what we we have found to be uh, not true. The, uh, the communication is available and uh, they are not even consulted about their state uh, even when they are cognizant. Um, also assuming that nobody is home. Very similar, but assuming thereby acting as if the patient is inert. In this case, the family and the doctors can be standing around the bed and consulting with each other but not consulting with the patient, not in any way. Once the patient loses the ability to communicate verbally, the assumption is made that they can't communicate at all. And uh, we're trying to bring some awareness to the fact that communication occurs in many different ways. Mm. And one um, is expecting the patient's communication and understanding to conform to our conventions. They are communicating, and we have the capabilities of communicating in their style if we take the time and patience to do that. Any or all of these actions removes the patient from the decision-making process and robs caregivers of valuable feedback about the patient's personal well-being. Mm -hmm. So Tom, this book is really packed with so much information, really needed information. So with that said, what is your favorite part of the book? Well, my favorite part of the book is the conversation that Stan and I have in the last chapter. And by Stan, I mean Stan, my dear friend, partner, colleague, and co-author. And uh, in the last chapter, I have a vivid picture of us in my mind as we're sprawled out in our office and trying to get our minds around our intense effort to record our experiences. I went with Stanley Sr., this is our Alzheimer's stands father and the Alzheimer's patient whom I spent four years with in his advanced state, was when in his advanced Alzheimer's state, he said, it, he said to me he needed me to come back. That was a really touching and intimate moment. It's hard to describe, but uh, Alzheimer's patients, according to um, con conventional thinking, are incapable of relationship. And this was him reaching out to me to come back. Very touching. Oh, goodness, it sure is. Mm, thank you for that. And finally, Tom, what I think everybody wants to know is, do you have any recommendations for preventing Alzheimer's dementia? Yes, as a matter of fact, in our Chapter 9 summary, we outline five specific recommendations for helping prevent Alzheimer's. First and foremost is read our book. Our book expands your awareness of Alzheimer's 
and contains exercises designed to immunize you with homeopathic doses of the Alzheimer's experience. Mm. Second, we suggest ways to create your own opportunities to explore the Alzheimer's state, to forget until you can learn to drop your personal agenda and be present in the moment. Third, we recommend exploring your own issues around physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy. Fourth, we recommend completing unfinished business and dropping outmoded behaviors, beliefs, and personal history that no longer work for you. And fifth, and finally, we recommend fully exploring even the most minor episodes of forgetfulness instead of glossing over them. Well, that sounds like a huge topic for another time. Tom, I was also very touched by your readers' comments, and in closing, I would love you to read a few of them. Do you mind doing that? No, I'd be delighted. Uh, The first one comes from a medical director. He writes, I bought one copy of your book and am so impressed that I am now buying 10 copies so that I may have copies available to family members of persons with dementia. And I am also going to give copies to the geriatric psych unit, of which I am the medical director, and to two long-term care facilities, of which I am also medical director. Thank you for writing such an uplifting and positive account of relating with individuals with dementia. And here are a few more. Insight on how to open our minds and hearts to the person who is suffering from the disease is invaluable. My future visits to my husband will be more meaningful because of your explanations. On another one, I was struck with the thrill of the flow which is always there waiting for us to pay attention. Your prose flows naturally in a friendly, unpretentious style. Yours is a lovely book of great warmth and I will be returning to it. The urgency and poignancy and intimate connection revealed between the two of you caught me by surprise. Your writing is so alive I felt like it was happening in the moment. Thanks for showing how to honor our elders, speak to those in altered states of consciousness, and follow the end-of-life separation process. And finally, my father died of Alzheimer's, and reading your book was very comforting. Tom, thank you so much for making the time to be here to share your important work. My pleasure, Olga. It was a privilege. <laughs>